called by God. He was called to do something special. He was, he was called to do a work for God. And we've been looking at how we ourselves are people who God calls. I want you to say, I'm called by God. Right, you weren't convincing me, okay. I'm called by God to do his good work. Okay, so now you can all hold each other accountable, right? But who was Nehemiah? Again, we've been talking about Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer to the king. Now, that wasn't uh, a lavish job, okay? That was just because he was in the round of, of influence and so on. But the cupbearer was someone who, who would have tasted the, the king's cup before he would have drank it, and that would have to make sure there was no poison. So it was obviously a job you needed good life insurance in, okay? It wasn't a very lavish one. But when he heard in that position, his homeland was in shambles, okay? The people were hopeless, they were helpless, they were vulnerable because the, the walls were in ruins, and really they were uh, not getting back to a place of worship or following God. And what he began to have with this holy burden was something needed to be done, someone needed to do something, okay? And that's what we're looking at. Again, just to, just to fill you up the speed, he asked permission from the king, he hears from God, he travels over a thousand miles with a clear vision and a plan to rebuild the walls, okay? And that's what he'd done. Then the story goes on where he was able to inspire others, obviously with God's help and God's grace, but he was able to inspire a hopeless and helpless uh, people group in order to rebuild the walls, okay? And as any good story arc goes along, okay, the, the, the work starts, the progress begins to happen. And then just about in the middle of the story, opposition shows up, all right? Okay, like any good Avengers movie or any of your favorite uh, plot of a story, we begin to see um, opposition show up. Because as we know, as the work goes down, we talked about last week, opposition shows up. Obstacles through people, through opinions, through different situations and circumstances. A lot of things were beginning to happen in this journey that were trying to discourage okay I don't know about you but maybe you've been in a situation where you're going through you know you've been a season of moving house moving job plans and all sorts of things and everything seems to be moving smoothly and then a speed bump comes along anybody ever had those before right some of you are like yeah you're a lot more responsible that one okay and as we began to see through many different people that there was those uh, obstacles that came Nehemiah's way to discourage okay but when we pick up in chapter five we begin to see something really interesting, okay? They overcome, you know, obstacles in terms of, you know, people's opinions and, and lies and all sorts of things, and I'd encourage you to go to read around. But what we begin to see is that the people themselves were, in that context, receiving a heavy burden. They were, it, it says they were too burdened to do the work, okay? Has anybody ever felt like, you know, you've been burdened to do the work that you've been doing, whether in job or, or life? And what we see before is Nehemiah and the people were building the wall, but now, through what Nehemiah, will we begin to see what he's done, Nehemiah has to build the people, okay? We see them physically trying to build a wall, and now we see in this chapter, Nehemiah has to do something because of the burden. He now has to build the people, okay? And the title of today's message, if you want to take notes, is Generosity That Builds Community, okay? In fact, if you can maybe stick the, the tile slide back up again. You'll see our tagline. You maybe don't even notice this, okay, because we run through them all. But one of our core values is actually generosity that builds community, okay? Maybe, maybe we'll come up. And that's something that we really want to look at as well, okay? It doesn't really matter. But Nehemiah 5, 1 to 5, and this is the context, okay? It says this, if you want to follow along, okay? It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews, some are saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, 
We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes in order to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood of our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have been subject, our sons and daughters, to slavery, which in other words, in order to get a a lump sum. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because of our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And as I was reading this, this is a cost of living crisis that they're in. Does it sound familiar? This, as we see Nehemiah in his context, there's tax on food, inflation, where, you know, can nobody get tomatoes these days, you know, and you have to, you're limited to what four is it from Asda now, you know, you're not allowed to, um, to, to leave with too much. And people have no remortgage, interest rates are high. We're beginning to see a context that actually is very similar to our own. And as Nehemiah was, and the people were trying to build a wall high, we begin to see Nehemiah had to dig deep. All right? Uh, as, I was, as I was thinking, preparing for this, I was reminded of a time where I, I think it was, I can't remember why, but I was coming down from Antrim. I think it was maybe a Friday evening or Saturday. I must have been up for some training or up for meeting with a few people. And I was coming back down the motorway and I, I, I turned off because I was, I was hungry. So I turned off to go, I was thinking of somewhere in North Belfast. It was a McDonald's. So I turned into McDonald's and I was driving in. It was, it was just after, after dinner time. And I went into the drive-thru and, you know, anybody ever heard of those random acts of kindness where people pay for the people behind them and in the drive-thru, right? So I thought, oh, you know, it just dawned on me. I thought, oh, it must be the spirit, right? I'll, I'll pray, you know, or I'll pay for the person behind me. Now, I did a quick look in the mirror to make sure it wasn't a family of six or anything, all right? I thought, oh, no. But actually, it was a guy. It was a bit of a, a low-car, bit of a boy racer. It was him on his own. So I thought, surely, unless he's banned for a family of six, then I might be all right. Um, so I went up to the, the, the window and the, the lady and says, you know, it's paying for my own and says, look, I'll pay for the, the, the guy behind me. And I says, how much is it, by the way? And uh, it only ended up being like six quid or something. So thankfully it was like, great, right? Um, and I, I, I paid for it and she was like, you know, are you doing one of those random act of kindness, you know, pay it forward things? And I says, yeah, you know, something like that. I'm a, I'm a Christian and I really believe that actually in generosity and, and blessing people. And she's like, oh, that's great. Not much of the conversation anyway. So I went on, got my food. And as I'm driving off, you know, I didn't really see much reaction behind. And then I'm driving down past, I think it's Glen Torrens football pitch. Anyway, I was driving, driving down the road, and it was two lanes. And I could hear this car speeding up behind me. And it's like, you know, like, you know, everyone knows the sound, right? And then uh, I'm on the, the inside lane, and, he, and he, this young guy flies up beside me. And he's beeping the horn. He's like, you know, thumbs up with one hand, and then burger on the other. And I mean, the, the face was, I can remember, uh, you know, the, the windows were tinted out and he had the window down so that's all I could see and, you know, thumbs up, burger in one hand and the next thing, you know, brum, flies way off, speed race down the road and you can see the dust and the dirt up the back of the car. You know, one of those ones. And I just thought that was, that was funny but as I was thinking about it, it's really interesting. I don't know about you but generosity builds something in people. It, build, it has the power to build something in people. Not only in their hearts but in their minds. In a, in a community, in a, in a society, it's very withholding in terms of our resources. Generosity has the power to build something in that person. That was only six quid. I mean, let's be honest. You know, it's not the big, you know, glorifying me. It would have been different. I would have probably tried to take more credit of six under quid or something. But this guy, all of a sudden, just really simple. It picked him up. It done something. I know a lot of you in the room have done something similar. You see, generosity has the power to pick a person up. Not only because, you know, it's a kind act. 
and they, they feel seen and they, they go, oh, that was, that was great. But it releases dor- endorphins. It releases endorphins in us because it feels good, but it does something instantaneously in them. And I really believe generosity holds a lot of power. Like I said, Nehemiah was building a wall through the obedience of God by the grace of God, but in a context that had high interest rates, it had high taxes on land and food, and we see amongst other things. And what we begin to see is actually Nehemiah says, through an act of his generosity, not because he had to, but because he thought, I have to do something here. Nehemiah 5, 15, it says, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Because the governors or those preceding me had placed a heavy burden on the people. He took 40 shackles of silver and in addition took food and wine. We see Nehemiah begin to to say, I'm no longer going to take what is allotted to me. I'm going to redistribute it. An act of generosity. You see, in this context, people were remortgaging lands. They were remortgaging their vineyards. And in fact, they were selling, they had to sell their children into slavery. Now, I know some of you here maybe want to sell your spouse to get rid of them for the weekend, right? But that's, you know, that's what was happening to this context. People were feeling the pinch. Anybody else feeling the pinch today? And Nehemiah decided to help. So maybe you are feeling the pinch of, you know, interest rates and, you know, remortgaging or, you know, the, the, the cost of, of uh, you know, food and all sorts of things are increasing through inflation. We begin to see, what I've discovered is the more difficult the economy, the more powerful the generosity. Really interesting. The more difficult the economy, the more uh, powerful the generosity. And, and scripture, as I was looking at this, scripture teaches a lot about generosity. It teaches a lot about a lot of things. But generosity is what it begins to teach at. Now, I'm not limiting this just to finances. I'm also looking about resources and time and, and skill set as well, okay? But with, with generosity, scripture talks a lot about the grain analogy, okay, and, and you know, for any again, you know, people who are, who are used to the farming concepts or analogies, when we yield a crop, okay, when we yield corn, for example, we take the seed that's in that corn. So we have food and seed. We take the seed and we store it for next year's harvest or next year's planting, okay. But the thing is, you know, well, we we have that seed, so it means then next year we can then begin to invest it and sow it so then we will have an abundance again. It's really simple. We, we know the concepts. But if I eat the seed that I was supposed to plant, then I won't have a next year harvest. See, all our resources and all of our income, we have to ask, and you know, as I look at this, we have to ask, what is seed and what is food? When we reap something, there, there's a bit of a question we ask the Lord. What of this, Lord, is, if you get a financial blessing, and, you know, you go, Lord, is this seed? Is this, am I supposed to invest this? Am I supposed to, to pass this on? Or is this food? Am I supposed to then, maybe it's for debt or for anything, you know, along those lines. And the same when it comes to resources as well. Is this for me? Or Lord, is this to invest in um, to your kingdom for, for the future? And when we begin to look at this, there's another thing that's really powerful that can happen. And it's 2 Corinthians 9.11. It says this, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Everyone say, always be generous. That when we take your gifts, in other words, your seed, to those who need them, listen to this, they will thank God. There's something happens that when we're generous, in whatever context that looks like, because generosity not only lifts a person, but it has the power to bring someone closer to God. Have you ever thought about that? 
Now, that boy, I don't know if he gave his life to Jesus down the 30 minute hour zone. I mean, that would be great. But there's something about generosity that when we give, in whatever context that looks like, they, it says, they will thank God. There is something about that power that we can all of a sudden bring into an encounter with Jesus. You see, what we begin to discover is generosity makes space at the table. Have you thought about that? Generosity makes space for the table of the people in this room, but also for the people who are not here. Or maybe the table looks like, you know, at a, at a different building or a context of, you know, mission, or, you know, maybe you're part of a, an organization, you're trying to raise funds that's for a cause. The generosity in whatever that context, all of a sudden it, it makes a seat at a table, whether it's buying a physical seat or whether it's about a, you know, an outreach or a, whatever it may be, a community drive, that all of a sudden it creates a space where people can come and encounter the Lord. Generosity makes space at the table. Whether it's giving of food. In fact, I'll better describe it like this. I've been, many of, you, many of you know, I spoke about last week about Dasbury Revival and different things of God's doing quite a lot across the world at the moment. And um, what was really interesting is this small town, I think only had like three and a half thousand people. Or it was, you know, it was, it's, you know, way smaller than Down Patrick. And what began to happen is crowds of I think they were saying between 20, they were saying around 20,000, but now I think it's, they're saying it's even, it was even closer to 100,000 of people, not just in the auditorium, but just flocked to the, to the area. But what began to happen was as people were coming hungry, seeking God, seeking you know, an encounter and, and truth of Jesus, was local shops began to provide free food outside their stores. They began to put out tables and they, they, you know, they just put out food and water and different things. And what was happening was, that's a good example where they were making space for people to come to the table. Now, I know the Lord's table's everywhere. But what we were seeing was, you know, people, because they didn't have to. In fact, there were businesses, so they're probably doing very anti of what they were supposed to be doing. Was they were putting food out for those who were just arriving so that they didn't have to sort out everything at the meantime. That they were all of a sudden then, they had food, they had water. And, and in some cases, people had accommodation as well. And that's what it means that when we have generosity, it creates space at the table. How many of you know, are, you, you and I are here because sometimes there's been generosity with people who are no longer with us, who have invested in, some of you don't know, but when we, when we first launched and we, we, we kitted at this place and, you know, I can't remember the full amount, but we had someone who doesn't come to our church and we had, it was prophesied that the debt in this place would be paid off in the year. And all of a sudden, someone who doesn't come to our church, who knew of our church and, and got help through it, all of a sudden wrote a check for 50,000 pounds. And within a year, that debt was paid. Her generosity paid so you and I could sit here. Now, I know sometimes there's coffee stains and you know, dirt everywhere, but we have space to come because of their generosity. And what I've been discovering, generosity is a fruit that comes from worship, but it also leads to worship. Nehemiah 5, 15 and 16 really puts it well if you're following, okay? It says this, Nehemiah says, out of reverence for God, I did not act like the former leaders. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All the men were assembled. In other words, all the men had then gathered there for the work and we did not acquire any land. What we see is Nehemiah was generous because he feared God. It was out of worship for God. But then Nehemiah's generosity also paved the way for others to then assemble and continue to work, which is also worship. How many know worship isn't just singing of songs? Worship is being obedient to what God's called you to do. So when you're doing your job or when you're doing the things you feel called to do, 
that's an act of worship. We can't limit it to just the singing of songs. But it's also when we, we step out, and you know that thing where we don't feel like we're always, you know, it's easy to feel good when you sing songs. It's not always easy when you're doing the call of God because of many, many different um, obstacles. Nehemiah was generous, like, well, let me put it like this. Nehemiah was generous for his father, but also like his father. And what he'd done was he lifted a burden in small ways that then a group of people began to regather and continue what God had called them to do. He paved a way for obedience. So not only does generosity have the power to inspire, to uplift, but it also has the power to release people to continue to do God's work. Now, Jesus at this point may go, well, what's the point of being generous? I mean, what's the point? The amount of, you know, extortions that's going around the world, you know, the, you know, rulers and leaders who are, are collecting large sums of funds that, you know, they're being greedy for themselves. This is the point where you get the, you know, you go, oh, look at the, the resources that are being redirected that should be going to refugees or should be going to X, Y, and Z, but yet it's just, you know, it's all being misused. And we begin to see the abuse of a mishandling of finances and resources. And at this point we go, well, what's the point of being a generous? I mean, my wee bits of generosity and whatever that looks like, surely that's not going to overcome the masses of, of extortions, right? But what about the one or two that follow you? What about your children? How many know how your children will hand, uh, handle finances and resources in the future is going to be dictated by how you handle yours? Or what about your friends and your family? Because some of you go, well, I'm not a leader. Nobody's looking at me. But those kids look up to you. And what has happened, and I was talking before the service about this is with some of you, in Northern Ireland, we don't like talking about this stuff. And, and not many of our churches do. And, and what has happened is we've stopped thinking that finances or resources or how we handle those things play a part in how we actually lead and disciple others. But how many of you know generosity is a massive part in discipleship? I've, I haven't heard that said much, but generosity is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know generosity is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? But generosity is also a tool in order to disciple others. But because of a few misdemeanors, and how many of you know in Northern Ireland we've had a few misdemeanors of finances and resources in our churches? I mean, some of you laugh. But how much of that then begins to influence or move the conversation of generosity and stewarding finances and resources to the side, to, to the point churches no longer talk about it? Or we'll do a week course a cap course on the side, and hopefully then that will keep it all going on there. And that's great, by the way. But because of a few misdemeanors, the church has left this conversation out of how we disciple, but also how we do community. And I really felt like the Lord says, we have to recapture that. Just because of a, of a few distortions, we have to recapture the healthy conversation of this thing. See, generosity as a tool was supposed to display the gospel. It was never supposed to be the gospel. Generosity was supposed to, to see the kingdom come, not be the kingdom in and itself. And what we do is we take verses like, you know, money is the, you know, the root of all evil, but that's not what that verse says. It says money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, how we handle our resources and our finances often reveals the posture of our heart. I'll tell you this, I remember when I was, I think it was third year, I can't fully remember which... Um, when I was in school and we were, we were coming up to going on a, a Manchester 
School trip. Now I'm a Liverpool fan. I'll, I'll say that from the front. We're not doing too well. I don't want to lose you at the football analogies here, but our school was going on a, a Manchester United football trip, and I just thought I'd go. Now, long story short, I wore the Liverpool strip underneath my, my top, so when we went, I was always true to my colours. But um, I'd been uh, two years previously in first year, but around this time, I really wanted to go on the trip again. It wasn't a lot of money, and my parents were going to pay for it, but I really thought I wanted to try and at least contribute to it or at least have some spending money for it. And what I did is I decided to become the Down Patrick Dell boy, okay? And what I did was, um, only fools and horses, I know. Um, I decided, now I'm not endorsing this, okay, because the Lord has forgiven me for this, but um, I decided to go down to Lidl, okay? And I bought the multi-packs of LucasAid Sport, all right? Um, they were like two pounds. Now, this was at a time that LucasAid Sport was sold in vending machines for 120 okay? So what I decided to do, four LucasAids for two pounds, I decided I sell that for a pound each. All of a sudden, I'm making four pounds. That's 50% profit straight away. I thought, happy days. So I went into school, and I began to sell, you know, the LucasAid Sport. I would stand beside the vending machines, and the boys were going after PE. They wanted to buy LucasAid. I said, yeah, I've sold it for a pound. So undercut the market already. 20, save 20 Ps. Nobody carries around 20 Ps. I got loads of gold nuggets, right? And I ended up going on the trip. But why did I say that? One, not to endorse that, because, I, again, I was definitely breaking the law by selling multi-pack goods, okay? So definitely don't do that. But what happened was I began to get good at this. A lot of you don't know, but my nickname uh, was Tucker. And it got perpetuated because, you know, Tuck Shop, Tucker Shop, right? So that's how I began to grow. And I began to get really, you know, I loved accumulating money and, you know, many different ways. And I got caught, by the way, so that got put to the very end. Um, it never happened anymore. But my love of accumulating and having money, it brought a sense of, I was a teenager. I mean, you think, you know, 15 quid back then, you know, you thought you were loaded, right? And, and what began to happen was it was a source of security. It was, a, it was a source of comfort. It was like, oh, all of a sudden I'm in a bit of control. And it actually became an idol. And to the point where I wanted to accumulate so much, I began to sneak the one or two pounds from my parents' drawers. Five pounds, ten pounds, until I got caught and then I got a good leg whipping too, right? Now, not that I endorse um, hitting your kids. But what happened was I then became a Christian. And I began to take verses like, don't store up treasures in barns, you know, because then the moths come on all sorts of things to justify not saving. So what happened was I moved from being able to accumulate and steward money to then being indignant towards it. But how many know we're not called to do that? We're called to a balance. We're called to move um, into that balance where we move from having ownership to stewardship of what God's given us. Now the thing is, we all want to be generous. I mean, hands up, who wants to be generous? I mean, there's very few people we know that don't want to be generous, right? But the problem is we don't think we can Who's ever thought this? It's when I have more, then I'll give more. If I win the lottery, then I'll invest it. Or when I can afford to, then I'll give more. But what we begin to see is in famine, when Nehemiah's peers heaped on the taxes, heaped on the interest rates, that Nehemiah displayed what we call irrational generosity. Now, what is irrational generosity? Well, irrational generosity is giving when it's not rational to, okay? When our resources may not display it or our bank balance or whatever it may be. Because irrational generosity believes at its core it's better to what scripture says give than it is to receive. For a long time in my Christian life, I started quoting Jehovah Jireh. God will provide all my needs. But the problem was I was only looking at my own. And instead, God's called us to, it's better to give 
that it is received. But one of the things as I was reading up, I got really, really, I got challenged on this, but also I discovered what the church, I haven't really heard, um, maybe I just don't do a lot of reading up around it. But there's one thing that the church has forgotten about generosity. And it'll be in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 7. It'll come up on the screen, hopefully. It says, what we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches is this. In the midst of hardships, their overflowing joy, along with their extreme poverty, had welled up into a rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, which was their tithe, and then by the will of God to also us, which is actually mission. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love which we've been inspired by you, again, there's that inspiration, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel in this grace of giving. The Macedonian church, Nehemiah, they all felt the pinch, so do we. But yet they had the desire to give, but also they had the grace to give. How many of you ever heard there's a grace to give? There's a grace to be generous. And I was challenged by the Lord. He says, stop asking, give me more finances or resources and then I'll give. But instead, ask for the grace to give. Ask for the grace to give because generosity is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm going to say is don't ask for that grace to give while holding on to everything God's given you like this. All right? Don't ever hold on, ask for the grace and then in one hand go like this. If we start to do this, oh, that's hard. Because God calls us to stewardship and not ownership. But how do we know there's a grace to give and that I'm not just making up something to coerce into being generous, right? It's God's generosity is reflected in the measure he poured out his love. I'll say it again. God's generosity in the kingdom is reflected in the measure he poured out his love, which is actually the cross. What Jesus done on the cross is the measure of how generous God actually is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, God gave his all to you and I. Do you know what I love about this? This, this is something where it says, God said when he did that, now there's a lot that we can say about that, but he says, I'm gonna to give to you what you don't deserve. That's radical generosity. I'm gonna to give to you what you don't deserve. The forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of all of the things that we mishandle and do. When God says you get back what you don't deserve is radical generosity. But generosity, you see, isn't about amounts. It's about heart. And that's the issue when we don't like talking about this is we think it's just about amounts, but it's not. Generosity is about heart. I told you about the time I got a good leg smacking when I started to steal from my parents. Now that's their response to the violation of love or the breaking of trust, right? But how do you know the beauty of God is that when we violate love, he gives back to us what we don't deserve? Think about it. When I sneak a few pound or two, or any other context, a parent reacts and smacks or shouts. 
through the violation of love and trust and what we expectations. But when we do that with God, he doesn't give us back what we deserve. See, radical love is the basis of radical generosity. You cannot be generous from the kingdom point of view without displaying love, without moving towards love. Because if you do it without love, you're doing it out of guilt and out of coercion and fearing that we're going to publish all accounts and finances at the end of the month. And you know, I know people have been in parts of those. But this is about displaying love and generosity is be a fruit of the spirit, but also a tool to display the kingdom. Now, this isn't about the more generous we are than, you know, if we, then the more generous he is. This isn't about if we put one pound in, then God gives us two pound back. He's not a cosmic cook machine or slap machine, I probably should say. But this is more about when a boy who brought three loaves and two fishes, Jesus took it and done way more. That through his mercy, he blew it out of the water. Generosity displays the love of Jesus to the world around us. That's what it was supposed to be. But yet through shame and all sorts of negative emotions, we've allowed through misdemeanors of churches and you know, all sorts in between, we've allowed it to get put under the carpet. Instead, we should be recapturing this. Like Nehemiah, when his peers distorted it, he said, no, I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to restore it. I really feel like in a Northern Ireland, we are, we are a shame-based culture. And we have to decide that we're going to recapture the things of the kingdom and not let our society dictate how we use God's tools. Look, I'll invite Chris and the guys back up again. Generosity. I believe in this next season, in the many different contexts, we have, the power, we have the power to be able to lift people up. Small acts of kindness instantly lift people. Display the kingdom that, in, a, in a very burdened world. It actually injects hope. It, it does something to the body, but it does something to the soul. It injects hope right away. You may not be giving them the answer to all of their, their problems or their debts, but you can give them hope that there, maybe there's a possibility way out. It also brings people close to God. Creating space at the table. It inspires worship and it also leads worship and then it reflects the love of Jesus. But also generosity paves way for the miraculous. We see with the, the, the boy with three loaves and two fish, it, it produced multiplication. And in Nehemiah 6.15, after what Nehemiah had done about le, or reducing the burdens by generosity, it says this then in, fifth, or in the next chapter, it says, the wall was then finished on the 25th day, which was 52 days. The people were once burdened, couldn't do the work. Nehemiah was generous, and I don't think it's any coincidence. Then they were able to do the work, and it was done miraculously in 52 days. These walls, these stones, were not red bricks, you know, pop-up houses that, you know, are now in the, on the economy that we're paying hundreds of thousands for. No, these walls were, you know, meters by meters. They were requiring a workforce. I mean, it was miraculous. Because I believe where the love of God and where the generosity of God flows, so does his power. And we have the opportunity in many, many different ways to partner with the Holy Spirit to be generous, to see his power come. Like I said, we're here because of the generosity of even people who aren't here. But also you and I get to pave a way where we get to be generous and create space at the table for those who are not yet here. Whether it's with our tithes or offerings, whether it's investing in a mission, whether it's outreaches, whatever it may be, you building or find a mission. I know some of you here have already got part of Mission Africa and, and different things. 
Find a cause and invest in it. If you don't have much money, invest time. Invest your skill set. Be generous. Get the seed and, and, and plant it in for a harvest to come. Because when we create space at the table, it really encounters what we're talking about. Where people get to come into the love of God. When you're in a drive through when you're in Asda, bless people. Instead of going, how can I not? Ask, God, give me the grace so that I can. Why don't you stand? Generosity is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it's a tool that we will get to see his kingdom come in and through this area. As a church, we punch way above our weight. We've always done since day dot. We do more than what we ever, you know, people think we're a church that, you know, are five times the size and have offshore bank accounts in Switzerland and all sorts of things. And they're like, you know, it's not just a generous church. And I do in some ways preach to the choir here. But, but there's something about we cannot let the misdemeanors of a few distort what really God wants to see happen in purity. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit and this week in the small and large ways, how can you display that fruit? How can, you, how can you inspire? How can you uplift? How can you bring people close to him in the big and little ways? Just give him your two, lo- your two fish and three loaves and begin to see Jesus multiply. Sometimes you see the direct fruit, sometimes you don't. But Father, we commit to being generous like you and for you. We've recaptured the heart of displaying your love that we would move into a rational generosity, God. That, Father, you would come in in the midst of living crisis, cost of living crisis, inflation tax, God, where we maybe need to sacrifice to continue to be generous. Father, I pray, would we not be limited by our situation and our circumstances, but, Father, we would experience a grace beyond measure in order to display your love to the world around us, God. God, I invite you for people who, who need breakthrough financially, Lord, in this room, who maybe are struggling to pay off debt. Father, I pray right now, would you pay off their debt in Jesus' name? Father, if they're here and they, know, they need to know how to budget in that space of debt, God, would you bring wisdom and insight around them? They would see hope at the end of this tunnel. The debt is not their portion, the, the financial freedom is. Father, I pray for complete grace in that in Jesus' name. Or for those who, God, are looking for, you know, how to bring you into their business. God, I pray, would you show them, give them wisdom. Father, I pray that we would recapture this in a whole new way. God, if, if finances has been a touch point because, like me, you abused it when you were younger. And they need freedom in this area. God, I pray, would there be freedom? Where maybe there's shame and insecurity attached to money. God, I pray they would know you forgive and that they would be re-brought back into being faithful in the little and faithful in the lot. Father, I pray for financial freedom, for resources, God. Open-handed, God, that we would see cheerful givers, as your scripture talks about, in the many capacities, God. That we would be a church that are not afraid to speak about this anymore. But God, that we would be a community. I just declare we will be a community that when you pour an outpouring of your spirit and people flock that we would bring accommodation we would bring food we would bring time and energy in order for people to experience your presence and have a seat at the table and God people will look to an area like County Down that's considered to be social poverty 
we begin to see financial freedom and breakthrough. The people who are relying on systems to get by God, you would empower them to be managers and stewards of those systems. That we speak a prosperous space and place in this area. The people have just said that's all about the prosperity gospel. It's not. That in your kingdom, God, there are good stewards. And so, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, come in all of us as you lead us and as you guide us until this next season, that we would be an abundant season in Jesus' name.